This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Kindle. Great spellers come from great readers, and that's why Kindle is the proud presenting sponsor of next week's 2017 Scripps National Spelling Bee. A single-purpose Kindle e-reader holds thousands of books, ensuring young readers always have a book with them. With features like WordWise to support comprehension and vocabulary development, Kindle Free Time Awards achievement badges for reaching reading milestones. To learn more about the ways Kindle inspires a child's emerging love of reading, visit amazon.com slash Kindle for Kids. And make sure to tune into next week's Scripps National Spelling Bee presented by Kindle Thursday, June 1st at 8 p.m. on ESPN. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 211. We're recording on Thursday, May 25th, 2017. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky. We're coming to you. From bookriot.com. Hello, hello. We don't have any follow-up here at the top. Do we have any follow-up no, we should follow-up really. about things I for? I was just having a quiet, private, like, nerd moment about the Scripps National Spelling Bee. It's like my mm. second or third favorite night of the year on TV, I think. Um, those Michelle's are... sister, Rebecca, also loves the Spelling Bee. So that's two people I know who love the Spelling Bee. It's a good club to be in. My favorite yeah. night of the year on ESPN is the NFL Draft. Oh, the NFL Draft. <laughs> I love it. Forearms and suits. That's is that is that it's about right? Do like, I have a tra- do I have it's that? It's these like very burly young guys, mm-hmm. like so emotional and like crying and thanking their moms. Like the emotion ah, of it is so raw, and mm. you don't get like unabashed, like really earnest expressions of feeling in professional sports that often. But the crying NFL draft, forearms, crying forearms, <laughs> crying forearms with like very creative haberdashery. Yeah, the suits are this. this I'd say it's even for men's fashion, it is more interesting than the Oscars. Actually, the NBA draft is better for fashion than the NFL draft. I don't know if you've ever watched the, N- the oh, NBA oh, draft. Yes, yeah. But for fashion, it, but both of them are um, the NFL draft, you get a lot more guys that clearly this might be the first time they've ever worn a suit. And also, they have unusual bodies to, to, to especially the NFL draft, the body types. You go from yeah, your quarterbacks to linemen. Like, there's, like, there's a full range of the human male form. And they're so on fresh, display. and they haven't had media training yet, so you don't know yeah. what they're going to say. No, I just, you know. like, I just love it. Jen was here visiting me, our, our great friend and coworker, Jen Northington. Um, was here during the NFL draft this year, and she had never seen it before, and she was like, mm. what is happening? Yeah, it's, it's odd. Because guys, <laughs> you know, they're 19, 20, 21, and they're going from being, you know, college bros, essentially, to multimillionaire, you know, in the spotlight moments. And right, again, they're like, big time pro uh, college athletes, they have some experience, but it is a, it is like a transformation. Their <laughs> lives are changing while we're watching. I just think yeah. that it's so cool. And I think I love that same or similar kind of mm. earnestness from the spelling bee. Like these kids are just all in. And I find that to be so beautiful in humans. Yeah. Um, and they're just, they're just all in and they don't care. Like 
the spelling bee is definitely the nerdiest way you can end up on ESPN. Uh, and uh, that's that's probably true. They're so themselves. I just mm-hmm. really, I really well, love they're that. in that sweet spot for kids, which is like what they're like eight to twelve, like yeah. eight to twelve years. They're just the sweetest thing. They're self conscious. So yeah, yeah, and they want it, and great. they're trying so hard, and they're all elbows and knees and and trying hard um, there. I, the thing, I, the tension is too much. I'm old now, oh. and watching kids get nervous that's not fun. I don't like that. It's too much. Too much oh, but it's so worth it for all the little packages that they do about the kids' lives at home and yeah. like how they're studying and what else they do and like the clips of them, you know, out with their friends, like riding bikes and also spelling amazing words. I, I, I love it. Yeah, I see that. It's, it's kind of like it's kind of like any playoff situation. Like most of the kids start crying. Like all but one are going to cry. Like I don't like that. Which, oh, well, that's like, just for me. You're that's supposed just me. to cry watching it. Like if you yeah, can see, make that, it through okay. the script spelling bee with a dry eye, you you know might be made of stone. <laughs> yeah, if I wanted to cry on, on, on command, I just listen to Cat Stevens. That's I mean, I can always go that way. Uh, oh, you know, speaking of like tension on TV, we haven't talked mm. about it much, but I have an update on my Handmaid's Tale oh, I need watching adventure. It took me two and a half weeks and a bunch of episodes of Ridiculous Television to recover yeah. from the first episode. Uh, but then I watched three in a row on oh. one day, and now I'm current. I've been watching the new ones when they come out each Wednesday. Um, Interesting. Um, so I found the first one to be really, really rough. And there's rough stuff, like there's difficult content in every episode. Um, but it's it seems front-loaded to me as part of the world building. Like mm. the first episode was really hard to watch. Um, and then the I think it's the second one, you find out what the ceremony is, and it shows the ceremony occurring. And that's disturbing. And in either the third or the fourth ones, we see the um, birthing ceremony happen. And that's also really disturbing. And then the rest of it is like, this sounds horrible, but the rest of the difficult content is like run-of-the-mill violence towards women and trigger warning stuff. Mm. Um, It's not like, I'm not having fun watching it, but it's such well-made television. I'm going to keep going. Uh, But if you have sensitivities to like anything... I think, you know, maybe read a lot of reviews. It's definitely too – it's like over the O'Neill spiciness threshold. Oh, no, yeah. No, too spicy. Yeah. Definitely too spicy. It sounds like it's kind of one of those deals like jumping into a cold pool. Like the first 30 seconds, like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. But then like, okay, it's cold, but I can survive Yeah, this. and it Is makes it like sense that? from a storytelling perspective that they have to front load like most of the horrors. Like the big pieces of the frame of the story are here is how women end up in this position and then here's what happens to them once they are made to be – handmaids and then the rest of it seems to be piecing like fleshing out mm-hmm. the details like the mm-hmm. all the ugly little ways that that get just gets reinforced every single day but it's it bounces back and forth between the gilead world and the past um so mm-hmm. we get to see like america before this happened and the characters lives and sort of the gradual run-up and i'm finding the construction of it to be really interesting um but i'm reading the handmaid's tale fun. again this weekend oh, are i decided you? yeah I, I bought there's a new i don't know if we've talked about this hmh released a new hardcover of the handmaid's tale mm-hmm. redesign which is really nice um because the only one in print before had been a paperback version oh there's two i guess paperbacks none of them i i as i as support i prefer reading hardbacks now um, and it's been 20 years since I read The Handmaid's Tale, and oh, I just yeah, was. It's I'm, time. Let's just say a different person now than I was 20 years ago. Um, it's funny how and, that happens. Uh, I'm interested to to read it now. Um, I don't think I will be able to watch the show without 
becoming a different person or having a different life. At the, I don't know. I, I'm not. I don't see. I don't foresee a situation in which I'm going to watch the show. But I'm. I'm. I'm interested to hear your update. So we'll, we'll get. And I've heard that uh, there might be a season two. So that's going to be interesting. Yeah, I've I don't heard, know. I think there's definitely a season two, and no. I had heard rumblings. I think from someone at the publisher, perhaps that there was mm-hmm. talk about a season three. Yeah, um, and then we've heard some rumblings about maybe some more Atwood generated prose in this universe. So I don't know what's going on here. Yeah, there's. Yeah, it's well, interesting. It's. Interesting. I will be interested to hear about your Handmaid's Tale. Mm. Reread. I'm here for all of the like scary emoji based texting you might need to do while that happens. <laughs> Not really my style, but if I need to, I, I appreciate that. Let's do our let's do our first uh, sponsor. You, know, you ready? Right. Let's do yeah, it. our first sponsor this week is Not a Sound by Heather Gudenkoff. When a tragic accident leaves nurse Amelia Wynn deaf, she spirals into a depression that ultimately causes her to lose everything that matters. She loses her job, her husband David, and her stepdaughter Nora. Now, two years later, and with the help of her hearing dog stitch she is finally getting back on her feet but when she discovers the body of a fellow nurse in the dense bush by the river deep in the woods near her cabin she is plunged into a disturbing mystery that could shatter the carefully constructed pieces of her life all over again Uh, so you've got a shocking discovery that is all too close to home this character has already been tested but now she's really going to be tested to find out how much she's willing to risk in order to uncover the truth and bring a killer to justice this is heather gudenkoff's seventh book her novels the weight of silence and these things happen were both new york times bestsellers she's also an edgar award nominated new york times and usa today best-selling writer and she's been compared to lisa scottolini and jody pico Uh, Born in South Dakota, Heather herself struggled with a unilateral hearing impairment, which is not unlike what the the, uh, protagonist of Not a Sound experiences. And she tended to use books as an escape from the world around her. So this is a bit of perhaps an own voices uh, piece Mm. as well. Um, She's writing about an experience that uh, that she has had through this character, Amelia Wynn. So again, the book is Not a Sound by Heather Gudenkoff. We'll have a link to it in the show notes, or you can find it wherever books are sold. Thanks to them for sponsoring yeah. uh, the show this week. That's awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm dumping, jumping down. I think this. Uh, I dropped this link in uh, our staff Slack a few days ago and got an all caps what back from you uh, <laughs> oh, about yep. this. Um, it's scribbed, and I don't know why this news is coming out now, but uh, CEO Trip Adler gave an interview to Laura Hazard-Owen of Neiman Lab. Uh, Laura has done a lot of publishing and book-related reporting over time. She used to be somewhere else that I can't – Galley Cat or somewhere else. But anyway, she's at Neiman Lab now. But she got an interview with Trip Adler or an interviewer or whatever. I'm not sure, but basically he's coughing up some data about Scribd that we haven't gotten. And we've wondered how their subscription service is going. They, they've been – they were a sponsor on the show a long time ago. They changed their business model from unlimited audiobooks to sort of a, a credit system where your eight ninety nine month gives you – basically you can choose from a couple of pools that are gated and then there is a pool of unlimited. A little confusing. But anyway, we hadn't heard much from them on the show or anywhere else, but they came out and said they have 500,000 paying subscribers now at eight ninety nine a month, a number which I think both you and I – are are borderline shocked by? Yeah, if I if there were an emoji in our Slack for like mm. fell out of chair, I would have used that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I did the ghost emoji instead. Yeah, and it's because well, five hundred thousand is a big number. That's a lot of anything. 
Um, that means you know about fifty million dollars a year in revenue for that service. And I was trying to think about it on my own after we sort of like made faces at each other in Slack about oh I can't I'm shy I just what uh, <laughs> I, I don't know noise. I don't know what to say about it except that I guess eight ninety nine's a good price people get enough value out of it and they must have done a heck of a job marketing it I mean that's a huge that's a half a million people. Subscribe. Well, yeah, there's there's that, and then we were also talking about how this doesn't really break out users of the reading service, like yeah. the ebook and audiobook service, from users of the basically document storage and sharing service, which which predated that existed for years before, like before Scribd was any of mm-hmm. these things. Scribd was where, like, if a publisher wanted to link an ad that they were running somewhere to an excerpt of a book, they would post the excerpt on Scribd. Yeah. An easy way to host go, PDFs, stuff right. like that. Right, yeah. Uh, so it's, I, I mean, I need to know, like it, this, it includes the documents, documents, but magazines, even included, and newspapers. With, that, even included with that, that's yeah, a big number. It's a ton. I, I mean, I think the thing that I said on our bag channel was like, they must have just done a huge ad buy in Facebook. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd like to know what their churn rate. Cheap some, ads. You know. mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's surprising. I, this, this is the kind of thing you do when you're looking to get bought. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of start thing giving you these like, interviews. Start to get these interviews. You you dangle a number. Um, I, I wouldn't uh, be surprised if there weren't a certain Seattle-based company that they're that they're uh, wanting to to pay attention to about this. Um, I'm, I'm sure they could do it anyway. I, I'd love to know how this compares with the people subscribing to Kindle Unlimited. Um, I'd like to know about you know demogra- uh, demographics, but also geography. Are these Americans? I mean, because that's the other thing I'm wondering about. The rights to these, are they all Americans? Are they international? Because one thing I've wondered about is I know how difficult it can be around the world to get access to certain titles, especially U.S. titles. Even in Canada, sometimes mm-hmm. it's hard oh, yeah, yeah. to the get right uh, U.S. So and rights stuff. And if you can subscribe through some other means and get digital access, I wonder if it's kind of an end around those kinds of rights problems. Uh, that's another thing I've wondered about. I want to know what their churn rate is like. A churn rate meaning how long an average subscriber stays on. Um, is it you know people are staying four, five, six months? That's different than if people get the free trial and then they're in for a month and they cancel. I don't know. But he says they have half a million paying subscribers. So that's not. And at any given time, we have a hundred thousand trials and only ten percent of them stay. You know, mm-hmm. that's not what it says. Uh, so. I guess a surprise strength in the digital subscription market for books. It also got me thinking about um, my uh, well, my affinity really for the way the the percentage of ebooks in the market uh, mm-hmm, has been mm-hmm. covered. Re- really, the way I admire uh, and approve of uh, some of the thinking and writing that's been done about that. Oh yeah, as we've but just it makes me wonder if, if these praise. if the people. If people are reading ebooks and scribd, and also I've I've seen some stories about the uptake in ebooks and libraries, I wonder if ebook reading just is getting diversified away from people buying for individual ebooks. Does, does, what do you think about that? Yeah, you what know, do you think I about that idea? Consider that specific angle, but that does make sense, especially as the 
the price of ebooks becomes ridiculous. Yes. Um, you're disincentivized from buying an ebook, but if you can access, if you prefer e-reading and you can access ebooks, maybe not the exact titles, especially not front list, but if you mm-hmm. can access a bunch of backlist titles through a service like Scribd, that makes a lot more sense to me. And, and libraries, of course, are free. And so that also could just be, it could be migrating. The ebook reading could yeah. be migrating. I think you're right there. I also think this is an outcome likely of the changes that Scribd made to their business yeah. model. Um, but when Oyster shut down our beloved Oyster a couple mm-hmm. of years ago, um, one of the reasons was that the early adopters that they had gotten into the service were such voracious readers that they were not able to continue supporting the program. Like, you know, for $9.99 a month, unlimited reading, when you're talking to someone who reads like 10 or 20 or 30 books in a month, doesn't like the math just didn't work out for the licensing that they needed to be able to pay. And they couldn't make the money that they needed to make on $9.99 a month from really power readers. Mm -hmm. Scribd, I think, felt some of that squeeze. And we saw them make this change to their model where your $8.99 a month membership gets you three eBooks and one audiobook per month. Mm-hmm. And then your uh, the things you can have unlimited access to are documents, magazines, and newspapers. So they're, they have controlled how much money they're going to have to lay out yes. from each user. Um, and I s- suspect they wouldn't have been able to get to this point if they hadn't made that change. So that does look like a smart decision that they made in their business model there. But yeah, I, I need, I would love to know how the usage breaks down, like what percentage of Scribd activity is on documents and what percentage of it is on eBooks. Um, and like, who are these customers really for Scribd? Um, cause it would be, I would think it would be very exciting if this could become a story about a successful ebook yeah, subscription. Definitely. Yeah. And it's not, I guess that's the thing, as you just said, it's not just ebooks, it's audiobooks, documents, sheet music, magazines. And the other piece of this um, story, which we're less interested in, but maybe it's the reason that um, Adler is out there talking is adding, they're adding content from the Washington Post and New York Times as part of these subscriptions mm-hmm. where they're picking in concert, I suppose, with those um, periodicals, publications some long-form, evergreen kinds of content to make available. So, you know, get some money to those publishers, give some extra content to Scribd, makes the whole Scribd experience more of a, almost like an ecosystem of of reading stuff or listening to to text, I guess, is, is really what it is. I don't know. I mean, it seems like there could be a, like people have been saying it forever, a Netflix for books, but maybe the idea is like Netflix just isn't second run or, you know, it's not just old movies, right? Right. It's Netflix original. There's stand-up comedy. There's documentaries. There's kids programming. Like if you actually think of all the things that Netflix does and then say Netflix for books, you actually have to change what that means. Yeah, it's not is, just mass market paperbacks as ebooks. That's that's not what it is. Right. This is, this is more – it's more like getting cable. <laughs> yeah, know? definitely. Definitely more like getting cable. And uh, this is kind of, I think I might be going full circle with Scribd now because like we've liked it and we've criticized it. And this is making me interested Mm. again. Like I have my Washington Post digital subscription. Um, I'm, I typically am buying eBooks now. If I, if I read eBooks, it's either a digital galley or something that I've decided I'm going to buy because it's cheaper than the paperback usually. But this would make me, I'm interested now, like at this prospect of nine bucks a month to get content from a bunch of newspapers. Um, even if the audiobooks and ebooks thing doesn't 
if those don't happen to ring my bells, there's so much more there. Like that, this is a lot of value for $8.99 a month. I'm real. I'd like to poke around at it again. I think I might be ready to like hmm. rekindle my brief affair with Scribd. Yeah, it's super interesting. Um, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Um, let's see. Anything else to say about this one? No, not not particularly. You want to move to another interesting summary kind of thing? We talk about this every year. Yeah, let's Bill let's Gates. talk about it. Let's talk about it. You Bill tell Gates, me, tell, what is it? Well, he's dropped his summer reads. Yeah, which I I love kind of everything about this. Like Bill Gates keeps a blog. He writes about the books that he reads pretty frequently, and we've talked about it on the show many times in the past. But the title is just Five Good Summer Reads. Like, Bill Gates <laughs> is not trying to clickbait you. It's nope. not the five books you must read this summer. It's just like, these are five books. It's almost perd ish Like, <laughs> these are five good books that are good books, you know. Um, but there's a nice variety. He recommends Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. Mm. Um which is excellent on audio, like really, really excellent. And also one of the funniest poop stories that I've ever read in a memoir. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, a, a book called The Heart by Maylee de Karanjal. Um, he says, you'll find this book in the fiction section at your local bookstore, but it's really an exploration of grief that's closer to poetry than anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hillbilly Elegy by J.D. Vance, which has been all over the news and kind of highly contested among mm. readers and political folk but uh, worth reading to form your own perspective. Uh, Homo Deus by Yuval Noah Harari. Uh, he's rep- Oh, he's the author of Sapiens. I yes, which I've read. Yes, that which is title. excellent. I'm looking forward to the, the next one. Is that out? Uh, is that out or is Gates reading galleys? That's, I was wondering oh, about that. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, yeah. Let's see. He says this is the follow-up to Sapiens, just as challenging, readable, and thought-provoking argues that the principles that have organized society will undergo a huge shift in the 21st century with major consequences for life as we know it. And let's see. I... I'm trying say. to quickly Google and it's not. Nah, working. It's all right. It's okay. People uh, can look but up I would if guess it's to. probably out. And then A Full Life by Jimmy Carter, mm-hmm. um, which Jimmy Carter, I knew he had written many books, but apparently he has written more than 200. He are not 200, uh, two dozen. more than two that, dozen. That would be, that would be a lot. <laughs> that would be a, Jimmy not Patterson James Patterson. Carter. Oh, that would be sweet if Jimmy Carter and James Patterson are the same person. What if James Patterson does a whole series of books with former presidents? Mm. I like that. <laughs> I do too. I'm into it. Uh, Gates is, look, I think we've talked about him before. Absolutely 100% book nerd. Mm-hmm. I mean, just know he's rec- he's talking about books all the time. I feel like he talks about books more than he talks about anything else now. And it could be I'm looking through a particular prism at it. But he definitely, like Gates notes, the the blog of Bill Gates, which is we're linked to in the show notes you can see here. There's a lot of crap about books on here. It's awesome. Like there's mm-hmm. there's three there's three tabs, personal, books, and energy. And I'm like, so yes, good. I'm in. <laughs> I, like, I like that. Talk about someone who is just fully himself. <laughs> yes. And also you get kind of, you get a little peek at his bookshelves, which I have to say. Uh-huh. I mean. Is nice. Yeah. That's a nice very home nice. library there. It's very um, nice. And if you're Bill Gates, I mean, who is going to have a nicer library than that? Right. No I like that there is a lot of diversity in several senses yes. of the word on this yes. list. There is diversity of genre and of subject matter. They're not all male writers, which often happens on mm-hmm. lists put out by middle-aged white tech people. <laughs> that definitely happens. Um, so it happens far too often. So good job, Bill Gates. On that front, Homo Deus came out in February. So you don't even oh, have February. to wait, Jeff. You can yeah. be... 
you can be retroactively excited on my audiobook reading and that is an audiobook uh pick for me. So mm-hmm. I'll get to that probably this fall. Oh, Good the story. subtitle of Homo Deus is A Brief History of Tomorrow. I find yep. that very like, appealing. You know, I like those kind of things. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of a cliche, A Brief History of Tomorrow. Also, that brief history is a little overdone, but you know I'll what I'm in? I'll take it. Yep. I'm in. I'm in. Sapiens was a serious enough, uh, encyclopedic enough book that I'll, I'll, I'll allow a little preciousness in that kind of titling. I'll allow it. I, I, they didn't ask me, but if they would have, I would have I've given them the hammer. All right, where are we going to go next? Where are hmm. we going next? Well, we teased last week that we were going to talk about people being down on little free libraries. Yeah, so, so I guess we got to make good. Let's make good. So this is a, an uh, article in City Lab, which is, um, I guess, some like a sub-vertical of the Atlantic, something like that. I'm mm-hmm. not sure, but it, it's, it's, it's run by the Atlantic, produced by the Atlantic. And this is a story about pushback against little free libraries as, I guess, just as a as a complete and total good, right? right. That this just isn't just, you know, the, there's there's no there's no problems with little free libraries. I actually haven't given too much thought to little free libraries. I thought it was kind of a fun thing to do. Um, you kind of like on the order of like lemonade stands plus is kind mm-hmm. of how it is in my mind. But I guess, and it makes sense that I read this, and I don't know if I agree with this, I don't know enough about it, but I can sort of see where they're coming from. A, a couple of librarians, um, they wrote an article in the Journal of Radical Librarianship, which, let's put a pin in that, because I need to know more about that, because that sounds kind of amazing, um, launched in 2014 by the Radical Librarians Collective, um, wrote an article basically against little free libraries. And the arguments is largely goes like this and make sure, check me on this mm-hmm. that they're they're starting from the premise that people think that little free libraries are doing some actual work in the name of public literacy and access to books but if you actually look at where these little free libraries are popping up they're already in mostly affluent white neighborhoods that already have public library branches. So they're not actually in book deserts, um, which makes sense, mm-hmm. I mean, to me, right? If you have right. the excess income that you have books and that you can have a little free library and, you know, you, you're civic-minded or at least you have you just have the time and space. Like if you live in an apartment building or denser housing sometimes, which has um, lower salaries or incomes, uh, you don't have control over your yard. You don't have control over things like that. So they have a really interesting graph of, of Toronto about where the little free libraries are located. And the other thing that's interesting, I think we've talked about this before, is that little free library is a trademark of a company. Like that's right. a separate, we should get that to that in a minute. So these are, these are, these are available because you register with little free library and you get listed and you get some supporting documents and you can buy like the, the, the kits to build a little free library. So you don't have to make it uh, yourself, uh, Ron Swanson style. But you look at the heat map, and boy, it's uh, it, it's hard to argue that they're not showing up mostly in affluent areas. It's hard to argue that. Yeah, it is hard to argue that. Like that seems to be the fact, at least in yes. Toronto, because the the study here is all Canadian based. Mm-hmm. They make an important distinction that the case is against little free library, little free library, all capitals, like the proper yes. noun, little free library, the company that is running these things, or the people that are spending, you know, a couple hundred bucks to buy the materials from little free 
library to build the structure and get registered and all that. They're not necessarily against lowercase little free libraries, like basically leave a book, take a book situations. Um, but it's this that seems, seems to me to a me, weird distinction. Is, am like, I, do you feel that same way? I like, think that what this article is really about is kind of a disdain, rightly or wrongly. I don't mm-hmm. mean disdain, like in a necess- to necessarily be a value judgment, but a or a distaste for like performative wokeness. Yeah, basically. yeah, yeah. Um, Literacy theater, something. Yeah, like that. yeah exactly. Right. That um, like. I'm such a good literary citizen. Mm-hmm. I constructed a little free library trademark um, in my front yard and I put new books in it and people take them and then they leave some of their books and it's this great thing in our community. And I think what these writers are saying is like, yeah, but your community doesn't need that. Your community right. already has people with a bunch of degrees, people who could go to the bookstore and buy books, mm-hmm. um, people who are using their well-funded public libraries or very or who have well-funded public libraries that they could use. I think what they're saying is like, if you really wanted to be a good literary citizen, you'd be finding a way to go build your little free library in a neighborhood Mm. that really needs it. Um, Yeah. It's kind of a piece with like, again, I'm going to get my own argument in here about something else, but like mistaking buying full cover hardbacks, literary fiction (laughs) at an independent bookstore with supporting books and reading. Like maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but I don't. I'm not sure. Like the replacement value of the dollars you spend on 200 bucks for your little free library that you put in front of a yard and all the books that you put in there and come out. If you were to replace it, if the, if the goal really is aggregate literacy improvement, whatever, however measure mm-hmm. you might do that, probably you should donate that money to the library system of your city or donate books to the a, a branch of a library or fun, use your efforts differently. They're not, I don't think they're saying that little free libraries are like doing some sort of harm. They're right. just not doing the kinds of good that maybe the rhetoric around little free libraries might be it, suggesting. Yeah, I think this piece is interesting, but it's also not fully fleshed out no. and, and as nuanced as it could be, because I, I think that a little free library can be both a good to its neighborhood, but also not as useful in its current neighborhood as it could be somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I think the thing they're trying to get to is like, if you want to be a literary activist in in some way, like serve an underserved neighborhood, help provide access to books in some other way. Don't construct a little free library in your front yard if you live in an upscale neighborhood in a place that has good, you know, public libraries. If you're going to make one decision, don't default to like constructing your little free library. It's not necessarily that your little free library is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I it don't is, think it is funny that it, to use the name little free, free library, you have to pay a one-time registration fee of $40. Right. The little free, the little $40 library, I guess is how it should be called. <laughs> I mean, I, I, that part is, it doesn't make me raise an eyebrow, but, but I do chuckle a little bit right, at, at just like, that. If you construct a structure in your front yard and you put a leave a book, take a book sign yeah. on it, you have made a lower a little, case little free library that provides the exact same service that a proper noun little free library (laughs) provides there are some this is becoming very strange Uh, Mm -hmm. there there are some just interesting things about it like the places that i have seen them in richmond and this is anecdata but places that i have seen them in my city are 
places that are frequented by people or that are occupied by people that have access to other forms. 10,000%. My experience yeah. resonates with that almost uh, exactly. Uh, so again, I think it's one of those things, uh, you and I both like thinking about something like this and trying to think about it new, with, with subtlety and nuance. And that's what we're trying to do mm-hmm. here. I, I don't... Maybe they overextend the argument about performative, whatever. Maybe, maybe not. But I do think the case is, you know, the the top end little free library you can buy from the company is twenty five hundred bucks that you can buy. For, <laughs> I mean, there there is a certain amount of that that I do think about. And and maybe if you you have a little free library, or yeah. maybe you know someone that does, or you're interested in getting one, I think it's just worth saying. What do I really want to do with this? Like, mm-hmm. if you want to have people come to your and take your books and have it right there, totally fine. But if your decision making and you want to spend your time and effort is like, I really want to get people books in the hands of people that have a hard time getting them, maybe your effort should go somewhere else. Right. Yeah. And they they say like at the bottom of the City Lab piece mm-hmm. that the issue isn't really with book exchanges; it's with yeah. the branding of them. Uh, and the like, sort of the presentation of this good that you're doing, um, but that it's also related to a fight for public libraries. Like, there's yes. a line, th- there's a line up pretty early in this piece where someone is like, "Well, you know, I would say that if you need a free library, your like regular public library is the free hmm. library," which is a shade of things that people have said to us, like when. Um, when yes. Oyster and Scribd first launched, and it was like unlimited reading for whatever, people are like, well, you know where else you can get unlimited reading? It's a library, mm-hmm. and it's free. And so there's like a touch of that that put me off this argument at first of like, yes, everyone knows that libraries exist. Um, I was concerned that this piece was going to be like librarians peeing on territory that doesn't need to be peed on. Mm-hmm. Like a little free library in someone's front yard is not to my thinking, a threat to the neighborhood's public library. No. Um, but yeah, it's actually, this actually suggests the inverse, the, right. the relationship is inverse, like the presence of libraries right. and people with university degrees and a lot of money, you know, that's the, the little free library happens after there's already libraries yeah. in those particular situations. So I think it's worth thinking about the article. I think especially the data is interesting to look at. Um, the heat map, is, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those things that just passes the eye right. test of like, yep, I think it's gotcha. Right. And I think a lot of the complaint here is really just about the way that we talk about little free libraries, mm-hmm. that if, if the conversation were less around like providing books to people who need books and just more like, I want to have a book exchange in my neighborhood. I have a bunch yeah. of books. I'm going to put a thing in my front yard. Let's all share books. That has a different feeling than the declare like the declaration of like I am doing something good. By yeah, the unalloyed doing this. the unalloyed warm fuzzies maybe need to go. Maybe yeah, I think that's it. It's the sort of it's like the self congratulatory performative wokeness of mm-hmm. the little free library that I think they're really objecting to. Yeah, um, but also I mean, and I would co-sign or second this emotion that like if you've got fifty bucks to spend on something literary activism related, it's probably better spent finding a way to you know buy fifty dollars worth of books for an underserved neighborhood than constructing a little free library in your yeah. neighborhood where people have 50 extra dollars. If they, if you do live in those neighborhoods. Right. I, I guess the converse would be if you live in a neighborhood that doesn't have a library, that is, you know, because that because it almost it almost makes the, the inverse case for the value of a little free library in one of these places that is underserved. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, there are places that are underserved by libraries and they are not really, they're not really the ones getting as, as far as this suggests the 
you know, kind of the hack of the little free library, of working around the public library system, doing things that public libraries can't or won't or don't have the money to, or just it's expensive and takes a long time to build a library, especially in a city where you, can, you know, don't have an open lot. So it, it almost could be that in certain situations, it might be more beneficial to do a little free library than to give mm-hmm. 50 bucks to your public library system, because that's not going to move the needle on building a branch um, right. Basically, you know, in, in an underserved neighborhood, but maybe your little free library with you know interesting books or just whatever available could do some good. So that's another way of looking at this particular case. Um, anyway, take a look at that link in the show notes. Let's do our next sponsor, Alcrate Spec. It's a monthly subscription service that delivers bookish fun straight to your door. Each box contains one brand new hardcover young adult novel, as well as a whole bunch of bookish keepsakes to help set the mood for your literary adventure. Kind of related to the book. Every box is built with a super fun and creative theme in mind and also includes special goodies right from the author. There's also a brand new box, kind of a different subscription line for younger bookworms. This is Alcrate Jr. It's perfect for readers age 8 to 12. So I guess, is that kind of early, middle grade? Middle grade, yeah. yeah. That's, that, that's another fuzzy uh, uh, line here, but kind of 8 to 12. I think, I like the numbers. That's a, that gives us, it <laughs> doesn't have to use these uh, more fuzzy uh, lines of demarcation. Or for anyone young at heart, you know, if you like middle grade, you like young adult, you don't have to necessarily fall into those ages to enjoy it. Right now, you can use offer code BOOKRIOT10, that's all one word, no spaces, for 10% off. Go check out Alcrate and get started. Thank you so much for Alcrate to sponsoring the show this week. All right, where do you want to go? Let's talk about some internal stuff. Okay. Um, so we've talked about on the show that uh, we have Book Riot Insiders now, which is our basically a membership program where you, you pay a few bucks a month at different levels and you get some stuff. It's a subscription, Jeff. Subscription. Yes, subscription. Yes, that's correct. Um, <laughs> where you get stuff. And one of the things you get is access to the new release index, which is a tool that we've sort of long dreamed about having at our disposal. Not that we would run necessarily. You and I just wanted it. Yeah, Uh, we just wanted it to exist so we could use it. Yeah, where you can look at upcoming interesting new book releases in a way that doesn't make you insane, which I know that sounds simple, but it ain't. Oh, no, um, if you listen to this show, too, you're probably enough of a book nerd yes, that absolutely. you have felt the pain of trying yeah. to find a good way to find and track new releases. And so and so, we put together this tool as part of the, the um, subscription program. Um, it's five bucks a month or $49 a year for this level. We would get this. Uh, where you can, you know, look, it's a cover model. You look at covers, you go week by week and just see what's coming out. And the list is curated by our own Liberty. Uh, Hardy, she picks what goes in there, and you can look at the covers and click on them and get a quick description. And for things that you're interested in, you can, as you're logged in into your account, you can flag them and put them in your watch list so you can keep track of what's coming out. Take a look at it, what's coming out for birthdays or your library holds or whatever else, going to the bookstore, whatever else it might be. And we didn't have this capability at first, but uh, pretty quick after uh, it came out, we realized that, you know, what would be cool is if we could see the books that people are, are marking. Right. It's anonymized. Mm-hmm. So we're not seeing what books individual people are marking, just an aggregate. Um, and so we got the first round of data this week. And so we got the the whole list, but we'll just talk about the top five for now. The top five most watch listed books that Book Ride Insiders are, are 
are marking. And I thought it was an interesting, fascinating list. A couple, one book I hadn't heard of, and I think a couple of books you have, the number one mm-hmm. book you hadn't heard of, which I think I, is amazing. Yeah, I had heard the title, but I have okay. like no idea what the book is. Should we do five to one? That's what you suspense, right? You start at the yeah. bottom and you build yeah, all the okay, way back okay. up. Yeah, okay, okay. All right. Um, I also, I hadn't heard of, let's see, you know, I've heard of five. I hadn't heard of four. I hadn't heard of four either. Um, number five, and the book, this is book is now out, but it was watch listed way before, was Into the Water by Paula Hawkins. No surprise um, there. That's probably one of the most anticipated novels of the year, I would say. Uh, it's hard to think of one mm-hmm. that was more anticipated than that, <laughs> that's not named, who, whose initials aren't D and B. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the fourth one is one I had never heard of, and it's Me called M- Midnight at the Bright Ideas Bookstore by Matthew Sullivan. And it's like a thriller crime novel set in a bookstore. A bookshop patron commits suicide, and his favorite store clerk must unravel the puzzle he left behind. And one thing we've learned doing this site is that people who are book nerds like books about set in bookstores, set in Mm -hmm. libraries, around set reading clubs, like book clubs, whatever. So I'm not surprised that it's there. I'm surprised that it exists and I hadn't heard of it. Yeah. um, If that makes sense. That's coming out June 13th um, from Scribner, hardcover, 336 pages. Hadn't heard of the book. Really interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number three is uh, Astrophysics for People in a Hurry by Neil deGrasse Tyson. It's so great. It is? I see. It is I, so great. Uh, tell I, me why it's great. Well, so I talked about it on all the books a couple of weeks ago. Mm. It's like, uh, this is an excellent bathroom book if you're shopping for like a Father's Day gift, but in the best possible way. Like it's mm. a slim little book with a bunch of bite-sized things so that like if you don't have time to read a giant chapter about like how the universe works or you're not going to watch an hour-long special on the Science Channel, you can read like a couple pages at a time to give you sort of basically the like fundamentals of astrophysics and like how the universe does what the universe does. And it's all in the Neil deGrasse Tyson voice, but I really like the bite-sized bits of information. Mm. Like I would listen to this on audio as a like three minutes at a time podcast, yeah. basically. And cool. he does like there is an audiobook version of it, but I just thought it was so much fun. I'm really I, pleased that a nerdy book is in the top three here. Yeah, I um I feel like I've got a little bit of Tyson fatigue, but you might have turned me around. There's just a lot, he's he's just out there, which yeah. is fine. I just Yeah, it's like it's it's not you know it's kind of like 100 level you know yeah, like it's gotcha. not if you're a deep science reader you don't need mm. astrophysics for people in a hurry but if you want to be reading more science than you currently are i think it's a yeah. great like it's not intimidating to read 3 cool. pages in the same way that like it's intimidating to pick up a 300 page book about a thing like this number 2 um alex our developer he teased us he said okay so when we guess what the number 1 most watched listed book was this was my pick this was my mm-hmm. guess a uh, hunger by roxanne gay which I don't know if we've talked about this on this show, um, but the the tremors of anticipation and people we know who have read it early are. Mm-hmm. I, I I think I look on upon this with fear and um, excitement to read yes. Hunger by Roxanne Gay, Same. which the 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 subtitle is a memoir of um, in parentheses my body, which I've seen a couple of excerpts. Um, if you know anything about Roxanne Gay's backstory, that's all on the table. Her own demons and habits and thinking about her body and her relationship to food and eating and metaphysical hunger, as far as I understand. Um, I will read this. Uh, I'm going to do it with like my emotional uh, uh, seatbelt seat fastened. 
Yeah. I'm going to be ready for the, that. I have not read it yet. I'm going to read it. Comes um, out soon, for, I think. Yeah, June? for release week, sometime in June. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm going to have to gird all of my girdables for yes, it. And the yes. number one title uh, is When Dimple Met Rishi by Sandhya Menon, which is a young adult rom-com mm-hmm. about um, two Indian-American teens whose parents conspire to arrange their marriage. Awesome. And it's on a bunch of the most anticipated lists mm-hmm. for for the year. Book Riot, I'm looking at Edelweiss right now, and Book Riot gets a good name check. Yeah, they do. Uh, in that listing. But folks are really excited about that. And it's cool to see uh, such, like, we've got YA, a memoir, astrophysics, a novel about a bookstore, and a thriller <laughs> in the top five. That feels very Book Riot appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, several books by people, of, three out of the five are books by people of color there. Um, that's also very book right and very exciting to see that coming from the book right community from the insiders subscribers uh, the rest of the list is interesting is super interesting too um yeah but it's we're gonna the, keep the, the that to ourselves 20, there's now. a lot of other bookish related like the jane austen product uh, project is number 15 mm-hmm. uh my life with bob flawed heroin keeps a book of books plot ensues by right. pamela paul uh, is number Ex 17 Libris, stories yes. of librarians libraries and lore is number 12 a girl walks into a book what the brontes taught me about life and love and women's work uh, is number eight so not surprising a lot of good stuff here so I thought it was just interesting to talk about talk about some books that are coming out. Also, kind of a plug for insiders. Talk about what you know you might want to do with that new release index. Um, I'm using it too. Oh I yeah, and if you're you know, if you're like I want to make my own customized watch list, mm-hmm. you can do that at insiders.bookriot.com. It's just five bucks a month or forty nine dollars yeah. a year to get access to a bunch of things that includes this new release index. I think it's worth it just for the yeah. new release index. You can alone. try a demo too. You can see a demo yeah. of the new release index. Like you can't see the, all the titles, but you can get a feel of what it looks like and see if it's right for you. But I thought that was a really cool way of looking. Maybe we'll check in with this every quarter or so just to see what's dopamine like all started firing at once like and then we could sort it by this thing and then i have these questions and it was like shinsky you just sit down for a minute (laughs) just easy girl like i'm I'm just gonna need to drink my juice and and think about it we talked uh i think we're gonna start like wrapping up here but we yeah i think that's our show okay you want to talk about i was gonna say we did get news this week that um margaret atwood is not done with television netflix is getting in on the goods now since uh, the Handmaid's Tales on Hulu, Netflix is going to bring out a series adaptation of Alias Grace, mm. um, which is based on a true crime. So it kind of a, I haven't read that one. Have you? I have not either. Yeah, I don't um, know a one. different flavor of Margaret Atwood, but she has so many flavors. Um, I'm just glad to see Margaret Atwood getting that Netflix money. That makes oh, me Oh, I know. Happy. All of it. I mean, there's not going to be Atwood or Gaiman left to ad- adapt after we get done with like this <laughs> round of escalating... <laughs> You know, basically an arms race of ad- ad- adapting books. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother it's and I were talking me. about this yesterday, uh, Kyle, who edits the show. Hi, Kyle. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the big franchise out there that hasn't been adapted is Saga. Oh, and it, that would be so much fun to watch. I mean, I don't know how you would do it. If you've read Saga, you can imagine. Like, it's, it's space and it's dirty and, and violent and profane. It would, Someone would really need... Um, some courage. You know, I'm going to nominate the sci-fi channel for that. Like they've got the magician. You can't do that on basic cable. You can't do saga justice on basic. Well, I don't know. They do like the, okay. The magicians is not Mm -hmm. as filthy in points as saga is, but it is 
dirty and like and the TV series is like dirty and has raunchy jokes and lots of cursing and I think that basically like the sci-fi people decided that enough of their viewers mm. that I, this is my guess is that they have decided that enough of their viewers consume the show online where you can drop as many f-bombs as you want huh. that they just censor it out of most of the cable like I think we heard it's like the radio of, version of NWA yeah, like, can, like back in the they, early it, 90s like the people's you what you can watch their mouths mm. form the word and they just drop <laughs> silent for like you hear the f- and then it just drops silent um, for the second half of the word. But there is a lot of swearing in the show and it's pretty sexy hmm. at points. Um, and then they also have sci-fi also has The Expanse, which is adapted yeah, from I a giant. I haven't seen that. I've heard that's good. Bob's been watching it and mm. really liked it. He hasn't read the books, um, but our friend, we have a good friend who's read the books and said like the show is a good representation. But that has enough weird characters that like i think that sci-fi could maybe do it and there's weird there's a bunch of characters in like you know strange costumes um in fillery yeah. in the magician so i feel like they could do the costuming for saga i, would I just like wanted to see i want to blow like with HBO. a blowed out budget like one of those oh, west yeah, yeah. world netflix get, like, the crown HBO 11 million dollars yeah. in episode budgets that's right what, but yeah. you know what i want what i want I'm, I'm hbo selfish. dollars and the hbo sensibility on also saga fiona staples and brian k vaughn co-own that so they get that money get that money Yes, get it. That, I mean, that would be amazing. A saga TV series would just be rad. Or like right. a, even a big movie series. Now we're just yeah. talking about now things we're, we now watch. We're uh, thanks. That's our show. Thanks so much to our three sponsors. Amazon Kindle and the script Spelling Bee. Not a Sound by Heather Gudenkoff and uh, Alcrate. Go check all those out. Links in the show notes to all those and the other stories we talk about uh, in the description. You see it in your podcast player right now. But also if you go to bookriot.com slash listen, you can go check out the new release index, um, insiders.bookriot.com. Choose an email, podcast at bookriot.com. I'd like to hear your little free library thoughts. We're open. We're listening. Talk to us. Uh, That's our show. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good one.